right. Praise the Lord. We thank God for his goodness. We thank him for his mercy. God is good all the time. I thank him because uh, there is just never a time where God does not come through, um, never a time where God does not show up. And, um, and because of that, you know what it means? It means that God's reliable. We can count on them. And that's something that uh, is really something to be said, especially for today's uh, times that we live in. A lot of untrustworthy stuff out there, a lot of things that we are unable to uh, to count on. But we thank God because God is able and he keeps right on doing some really, really uh, really great things. Um, we're going to go ahead and pick back up where we were last week. I want to go ahead and open up our Bibles to the book of Psalms. We're looking at chapter 27. I'm going to start um, reading uh, in just a moment. The scripture text that we will be focusing on today primarily will be verse number eight. Um, we're going to attempt to go to verse number 10, but we have a lot of good stuff. And as I always say, we're not in a rush. We want to get everything that God has for us. Psalms 27, starting at verse one, a Psalm of David, the Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the strength of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When the wicked, even mine enemies and my foes came upon me to eat up my flesh, they stumbled and fell. Though an host should encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. Though war should rise against me, in this will I be confident. Amen. One thing have I desired, and that will I seek after. Amen. That I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to behold the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. For in the time of trouble, he shall hide me in his pavilion. In the secret of his tabernacle shall he hide me. He shall set me upon a rock. And now shall mine head be lifted up above mine enemies round about me. Therefore will I offer in his tabernacle sacrifices of joy. I will sing, yea, I will sing praises unto the Lord. Hear O Lord, when I cry with my voice, have mercy also upon me and answer me. Here we are for today. When thou saidest, seek ye my face, my heart said unto thee, thy face, Lord, will I seek. Let's add a few more verses here. Hide not thy face far from me. Put not thy servant away in anger. Thou hast been my help. Leave me not. Neither forsake me, O God of my salvation. One more. When my father and my mother forsake me, then the Lord will take me up. May the Lord have a blessing to the reading, hearing, and doing of his word. Amen. At all times, God is good. Um, you know, there's a reason why I actually read through the entire um, T of the Psalm, at least up to the point where we're going to focus. The reason why is because as we go through Psalms 27, and as we discuss what God has, and we really get in and break down what God has given to us within this, uh, this text, every time we read it, Keeping in mind what we've learned, it should take on a new meaning every time. So when we start reading through that verse or reading through that chapter, when we keep in mind what we've learned about it prior, it should be like fresh eyes opening up. Okay, it should be like a door opening up and new sunlight coming right in for the first time. It should literally take on more and more of a meaning as you get an understanding, as we get understanding of what the scripture means. Now, Last week, uh, we talked about um, some wonderful, wonderful, wonderful things, um, and we're getting right back uh, into, uh, into the thick of things here. We are talking about God's mercy uh, when we cry. This is the sixth lesson in this particular series here, and we're almost, we're almost done. God willing, we'll, we'll get there, but man, I'm telling you, it's been a good, it's just been a good ride all the way through. We're talking about God's mercy when we cry, and, and um, verse eight says, you have said seek my face. My heart says to you, your face, Lord, 
do I seek? And that's from the English Standard Version. Um, that's um, what that one, uh, that particular uh, translation is that you um, see. And hopefully we'll get to the other verses. Hide not your face uh, far from me. Turn not your servant away in anger. Oh, you who have been my help, cast me not off, forsake me not, O oh God of my salvation. Amen. Verse 10, for my father and my mother have forsaken me, but the Lord will take me in. That's from the English Standard Version. As always, it is good to take in the word of God through different translations. It will help um, improve some of the surface understanding. There is surface understanding when you approach the word of God, and then there's in-depth understanding. That in-depth understanding is something that you don't get unless God gives it to you. That's what you get when you are in prayer. Okay. That's what you get when you're studying the word. The in-depth understanding is what you get when you're fasting, when you're going before the Lord and you're, and you're uh, with the intent of going beyond just what you get on the surface. A lot of problems that people run into is, is that they take a surface um, trans, uh, a surface, surface interpretation of the word um, and they try to apply that across the board. And so they don't really understand the depth of what God was talking about in, um, in a, a given uh, or a particular text. Now, Psalms uh, 27, eight says, when thou saidest seek my face, my heart said unto thee, thy face will I seek. Okay. Now this is, um, is, is, is good here because now we're starting to talk a little bit about responding to God. Responding to God is a biblical subject that um, many people have, um, many people can use some understanding. I'll put it to you like that. And the reason why is, is because people love to interpret the word of God the way they want to interpret it. And that is a problem. You can't take God's word and then just make it be what you want it to be. It does not work like that. Okay. But nevertheless, we have people um, who, who do that or uh, attempt to do that. Okay. Now, last week when we ended, we ended with this particular verse, verse number eight. Look at that first part. Thou said it, seek my face. Now, David in this particular text is uh, declaring something. Okay, we ended with talking about how David here is actually declaring the grounds upon which his request is based. Okay, and that's very significant. Amen. That's very significant. Remember, verse eight says, Hear, O Lord, when I cry with my voice, have mercy also upon me and answer me. So David cries out. There's the petition that that's going out that starts to go out. Okay, but when you get to verse eight, he grounds everything. Okay, he gives us the basis upon which he makes this request because verse eight shows us uh, very plainly the basis of the request. Okay, we literally get to see in verse eight why he feels like he has the right to even ask God this. Okay, and that's and that is uh, important. I wish many of us would take more time when it comes to 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 um, to asking some things for uh, of God. And to really examine ourselves before we go to God asking for certain things. Amen. There are many, you, you, you'll be surprised how many people, because the word tells us to come boldly before the throne of grace, do, you, you, <laughs> you have no idea how many people misunderstand that, um, that right and that privilege. And what happens is, is that you get a lot of people who try to take advantage of that. As, it, as if it's some sort of just uh, magic formula. Oh, I just come before the Lord and I can come any kind of way, but it does not work that way. And many people come wrong because they don't take the entire context of the word of God. They don't take what they have learned about God's nature into account before they come before the Lord. And this is why there are so many people that deal with a lot of frustration with God. Why? Because they feel like their prayers have not been answered. But I submit that if we would just pay a little bit more attention to, to the way that we come before we actually come to God, we would more than likely find such a drastic increase in our prayers being answered. Now, when we talk about prayers being answered, please do not 
take that to mean God just giving you what you want. You should not be going to God 24-7 praying just for yourself. That's ridiculous. And that is not what God called you to do. That is not what you're here for. If you are doing no interceding for anybody, okay, petitioning on someone else's behalf, if you are not standing in the gap for somebody else, for a brother or sister, for this world, for people to be saved, you're messing up. I don't really know another way to tell you this, but you are messing up. You're self-centered. You're selfish. I'm selfish. I am self-centered if that is the totality of my prayer. And many of us, we got to rewind it and back this thing up. And we need, and it's time to start taking, an, a, taking a, a, a closer look at how we are coming before the Lord when we come. He's given us the right and the privilege to come before him. But that don't mean you can just come any kind of way. That doesn't mean that I get the right to just come before God the way I want to come before God and then expect God to perform or God to answer. Look at verse seven again. Hear, O Lord, when I cry with my voice, have mercy upon me and answer me. David, we talked about this in, the, in, uh, in previous lesson. David literally asked for mercy before Ask God to apply mercy before God applies the solution. Why? Because he knew that what he would say might not be correct at times. It might be off. It might be lacking. And you know what? Worst case scenario, he might not even be able to get it out at all. Might just be a moan or a groan. But thanks be to God that he understands all of those things. Human inability, you know, is, <laughs> doesn't limit God's opportunity. No, God still is able to do above and beyond what we can think and ask. And, it, and it's not predicated on our inability, shortcomings or disabilities, whatever the roadblock may be. Listen, that is a roadblock for you. That is a roadblock for me. That is not a roadblock for God. The last time I checked, we can do all things through Christ who strengthens us. That's written, family. That does not change. God can do all things. If the world, if everything else be against us, that's okay. Why? Because if God is for us, well, he outnumbers any and everything else that would come against us. Amen. These are good. These are, and these are things if we, that things that are good to know, especially if we would stop and pause. David in verse eight gives them grounding, gives some basis. We said last week that that was really significant. Why? We said it was significant because this is an Old Testament scripture. Amen. This is an Old Testament scripture, which means that it predates Hebrews 4 and 16. What is Hebrews 4 and 16? It says this, let us therefore come boldly unto the throne of grace that we may obtain what? Mercy. There's that mercy again. And find grace to help in time of need. Amen. In time of need. So we have Hebrews 4 and 16 that tells us that we can come boldly. But we said this is significant. Why? Because David is coming boldly before he has a scripture like this that tells you or authorizes you to come boldly. So how was David able to do it? How was David able, how did he figure out that he could come boldly. And that's where we left off last week. How did David kind of figure out that he could become, that he could come boldly before the Lord well before, well before we had a scripture like Hebrews 4 and 16 that plainly tells us that we can come to God boldly? Well, amen. We learned that the ability or the permission or the right to come before the Lord boldly that right, that permission, it predates the what we said was the formal ratification. That means putting into effect. When you ratify something, you put it formally into effect, okay? It predates the permission to come boldly, okay? The right to come boldly predates the formal ratification of the privilege. So in other words, the privilege to come before God was actually made available to his people before it was formally declared in Hebrews 4 and 16. That's what that means. 
that right and that permission to come boldly before the Lord. You didn't get that in the New Testament. God gave that to his people in the old. That's literally what it means. That's literally what it means. So it brings us right back to it. How did David figure it out? How did he know it? How, how, did, how, how was he able, rather, to do what we're talking about, coming boldly before the Lord, long before the God even gives permission for anybody to do that? Well, how could he come before the Lord as boldly as he did? Well, prior to learning that it was okay to do so, we learned that in verse 8, which is the key to it all, we learned that it was obedience to God. See, it wasn't that David had formally figured out, oh, I can come boldly before the Lord. That's not what he figured out. Uh-uh. What David had figured out is, is that obedience to God opens doors. I'm going to say that again. Obedience to God opens doors. What kind of doors? It opens doors with God. And those are the best doors you want. Those are the best doors to open. David, he may not have known formally Hebrews 4.16. That wasn't even a thing. God hadn't even spoke, hadn't spoken it in his timing. Not at all. But there are some things about God. You have to understand that predate the law. When I say the law, I'm talking when God declares something. There are aspects of God's character, truths of God that predate the law. Let me give you an example. Listen, God had, it was, it was in Moses' day that God gave the formal law, thou shalt not kill, which we know to mean thou shalt not commit murder. Yet murder was outlawed of God well before he ratified it, well before he put a, a formal law in place. You learn that with Cain and Abel. God had a problem with what Cain did all day long. It had, and so the truth, that, that reality, that murder was wrong, that predated a law. And there are many things that predate the law. Grace predates the law. Every time God have mercy on you, when you go the wrong way, when you do the wrong thing, God was having grace, showing grace to you. Yet it's not really until we get to the New Testament That the law of grace, the truth of grace becomes ratified, meaning that it becomes formally stated. It's really not until the New Testament that you learn formally about grace, yet grace was throughout the beginning. And so what we learn from that is, is that there are truths, there are realities of God that are in place and in play well before God formally states them. Now, this is both good and bad for us. It's good because we have access. We realize that we have access to these rights and these privileges and all these things in God. But it's bad at the same time. Why? Because it removes our get out of jail free card. Because it means that we're always on the hook for certain things, that it didn't matter whether it was formally stated or not. God had already revealed that truth, that some things he was just not okay with. Sin is sin. Sin is sin. But yet David here operates well before, operates in a way well before it was formally authorized for us to do so. And he was able to do it because of obedience there are many who claim to love God and not only do they claim to love God they want God to move on their behalf we say we love God and I want God to heal me 
I want God to provide this. I want God to make this way. I want God to make that way. I want God to do this and I need God to do that. And God, I'm calling on you for this. And God, I'm calling on you for that. And I'm calling on you for them. And I'm calling all of these different, we got a whole lot of stuff. And we say that we, and, and we, and we do it saying first and foremost that we love God. We say, God, we love you. And I'm coming through before you in the name of Jesus. And I'm asking you for X, Y, Z. And as many of us who do that, many of us, because the right thing to do is to love God. But let me take it a little bit further. There is a problem nestled within that. See, the problem that's nestled within that, we don't always see because we're often blinded by our own intention. Sometimes it's hard to see that you are in error or that you're not right or that there is a problem when your focus goes no further than your intention. There are a lot of people, you probably, there, you know, I've met a lot of people who have done some pretty crummy things. And I myself have done some pretty crummy things as well. So I'm also one of, so, so the folks that I'm talking about, I'm also guilty of being one of those folks as well. And, and in light of these, these crummy things that others have done and that I myself have also been a partaker, uh, partaker of at times in my life. In other words, we didn't always do the right thing. There were times where I found myself blinded because my intentions, I thought, were noble. I thought my intention, my motive, I thought was right. But good intentions don't justify bad behavior, family. It never does. It never will. You didn't do it for me. It's not going to do it for you. And many times we get blinded to what we are doing because we have chosen to focus on why we are doing it. But if we take a step back and re-examine, self-examine, Bible says, judge yourselves. If we would just do that, many times we will be able to find our way to, to, to some clarity and realize, oh, you know what? There's some areas here that I really need to start making some changes in or that's not right, or we'd be able to get off the high horse and come on back down to earth and get down there with everybody else and realize that we're sinners who need some grace. We need some mercy. Many who claim to love God want God to move on their behalf. We got the audacity. We pray, God, I want you to do this. I want you to do that. And, and I want you to do it because I love you. But here go the problem. The problem is, is that they don't, or have yet, or I don't, or have yet to move on his behalf first. And that's the problem. See, I, I, I say that I love God. We say that we love God. And the first thing we want to do is we want to start asking God to do X, Y, Z. But the problem is, is that all the while we're asking God, we want God to do all of this, all of these things. But we ourselves have the audacity to not do the things that he told us to do first. See, look at John 14 and 15. Bible is very simple, very plain. It is written, if ye love me, keep my commandments. This is God talking. Jesus Almighty. If you love me, keep my commandments. We say that we love God but we have a problem with keeping his commandments. How long are we going to continue to try to pass sustained disobedience as love to God? Love for God is not a form of mental assent. There may be a mental ascent component to it, but it in itself is not 
mental ascent. It is not a state of mind. Loving God is not a state of mind. It is an actual state that one can only enter by way of doing something. What is that? Obedience. You must obey the commands of God. God does not accept declared love outside of or absent of validation. What's the validation, Brother Walker? Obedience. It does not, listen, I don't, you can slice it, dice it, Gensu knife it, whatever you want to do. But you cannot pass love off to God and you don't have no obedience to what he said. It's never going to work. I might be able to sell that to somebody else. You might be able to get over that with that with someone else. I pray that you're not doing that. But if such a thing should work with somebody else, I am telling you right now, that same thing will never work with God. And you and I do our best to be concerned with how it, with whether or not something like that is going to float when it comes to God. Why? Because everybody else may not have a heaven or a hell to put you in, but when you start talking about God Almighty, he actually does. And that's different. That, that's different than you trying to sell it to me or I try to sell it to her or we try to sell it to, no, no, no. God is different. And, 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 you can't mock God. Psalms 27, 8 says, when thou saidest, seek ye my face, my heart said unto thee, thy face will I seek. Literally the whole of verse eight provides the foundation. The foundation upon which David stands when making his request. Verse eight is the total foundation. This is how he's able to do it. And we know that that foundation is obedience. David literally, in essence, is saying, I'm asking because I've been obedient to what you first asked me literally look at verse eight again when thou saidest seek my face that's the command of god that's the request god made a request my heart said unto thee notice what he said my heart that means that i didn't grudgingly do it that means that i didn't go through the motions of doing it but that means that down on the inside with everything that is me with sincerity and with truth. Lord, you said, come after me. You said, seek me. And my heart, representing all that is actually me, not me being begrudgingly doing something, not me feeling guilted into doing something, not me being coerced into doing something. No, he said, with my heart. My heart responded to your request. Before my hands moved, before my feet moved, my heart moved. And I got to ask you something. When God talks and he's asking you something, what part of you moves first? I'm telling you, David, David, David said, my heart said to thee, not my mouth said to thee. But my heart said to thee, you want God to move for you, but I submit you got to move for him. 
And it matters how you move. You can't go through the motions. You can't go through the routine. You can't go adhere to the tradition. You got to do it with your whole heart. God created man to be family. What was he doing in the garden when he created Adam and Eve? He created family. God created himself a family in that garden. He was the father and day and Adam was the son. And all he ever wanted was you to love him for who he is, not because of what he can do, not because of what he can give. He can do all things. He can give anything. But how many of you ever stop and ask, what if God was to give me nothing else? Would I love him? Would I choose his way if there was nothing for me to get out of it, but simply to know that he was worthy? Would that be enough? What if there were no more prayers to be answered? See, these are things you don't think about that I didn't always think about myself. But what if? Some of us are so fair weather, it is ridiculous. We love God because of everything that he can do for us. When he's worthy to be loved, whether he does anything for us or not, he's already done enough. What more? He's already given the ultimate sacrifice. A life for a life. Voluntarily. Yet we got the audacity to not accept that. Instead, we want the things of this world. He said, I came that you might have life and have it more abundantly. Giving you, offering you what matters, but we, we want the toys. When God is so much worthy, so much more worthy than all of that. When thou saidest, seek my face, my heart said unto thee. Does your heart skip a beat when God starts to talk? Do you find yourself quietly holding your breath, not realizing you were doing so because God Almighty is speaking to you? What does his voice mean to you, regardless of whether he's asking you to do something or he's just simply declaring something that you might know it? What happens when the voice of God begins to resonate in your mind? How does your heart respond or does it respond at all? Have you become numb to the voice of God? Does it not mean anything to you anymore? You got to break up that fallow ground. You got to turn over that hard soil. That heart of stone got to go. You got to become tender before God. When thou saidest, seek my face, my heart said unto thee, thy face, Lord, will I seek. I responded. Obedience. Obedience. That, in essence, was David saying, I'm asking because I've been obedient to what you first asked me. You asked, and my heart responded. That means that on the deepest level, my intention was to do your will. Why? Because you asked me to. How come God has to twist your arm to get you to do anything? How long are you going to keep trying to send God through hoops in order to win your affection? He's not going to jump through the hoops. So you, in the end, are just going to be standing there looking ridiculous. 
trying to get the God of heaven and earth to jump through your hoops. He's not. He's not going to do it. God is not going to parlay with sin. He's not going to negotiate with sin. God don't have to win your affection. He's already earned your affection. He gave you life. Put air in your lungs and gave you the lungs to even utilize that air. What else does he have to do? There are a few things that every believer should know when we look at this scripture. And um, this is in Psalms 27 and 8 is a good segue into all of that. There are a few things that every believer should know. Number one, God desires obedience above everything else and anything else. That's number one. God desires obedience above anything and everything else we do. God, um, God cherishes that. Obedience is super important to God. Look at 1 Samuel chapter 15. I want you to look at verse 22. And Samuel said, hath the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord. So this is Samuel talking to Saul. Saul trying to sell Samuel to okie doke, trying to, trying to pass some foolishness off, acting like he did what God told him to do, knowing he didn't do any of that. Heart was wrong, intention was wrong, all of that was wrong. And so his actions was, was wrong. And then when the man of God came to check him, to check him out, he tried to pass it off, pass a lie off. But God is not mocked and he's not fooled. He wasn't fooled when, when Saul tried to do it. He's not going to be fooled when you and I try to do it. So we may, we do better staying out of that game and out of that camp all the way together. First Samuel 15, 22, and Samuel said, Half the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord. Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice and to hearken than the fat of rams. Look at what God does allows the prophet to do, to illustrate. He draws a comparison between your everyday service interactions, all the things that you do. So this would include your churching. This would include all your, <laughs> all your clubs and all everything else that you got doing, that you do in the name of the Lord and all the other kind of stuff. He draws a comparison between all the stuff that you say is church, all the stuff that you say is serving God, all the stuff that has become synonymous with worshiping God. He draws a line in the sand between doing all of those things and actually doing what God told you to do. And he tells you it's a difference. He asks a rhetorical question. One that you really don't have to answer or should not have to answer. Do you really think that God is equally impressed with your burnt offerings and sacrifices? Let me make it plain. Do you really think God is as equally impressed with you showing up to church, with you going and doing all, turning around, hitting flips and doing all this other kind? Do you really think that God is that impressed? with you dropping your money in the offering plate and all these other sorts of things, stuff that you didn't really want to do in the first place, do you really think that God is imp as impressed with that as, it as he is with you obeying him from the heart? Samuel is really saying there's no comparison. You don't believe me? Need another witness? Okay, let's see, let's, let's, let's see what Solomon has to say. Look at Proverbs 21, 3. To do justice and judgment is more acceptable to the Lord than sacrifice. Uh-oh. But I went to 15 services. God said, I don't care. But I'm at Sunday morning, Sunday night, Sunday this, that, and the other, and all this other kind of God said, what? I don't care. Are you living out my word? 
when you're at those services, what are you doing? But I showed up for this and I showed up for that. God says, I don't care. What did you do when you showed up? When you showed up, was that justice accounted for? Was that righteous judgment accounted for? But I put a big offering in the play. God says, cattle of a thousand hills belong to me. I'm not impressed. I didn't need your money. God desires obedience, family. Above anything else and everything else that you can come up with. In the height of COVID, and we're still dealing with these things, the church is meant to learn some things. God uncovered and surfaced a whole lot of ugliness in the world, but also in the church as well, showed you where the problem is. Showed you what he didn't have the lighting. And all you had to do was look at how various churches and different people responded, so-called saints of God. I don't know about you, but I saw some of the ugliest acting so-called saints of God during the height of the pandemic, which is still, still going on. All kinds of ugliness was surfaced. But many churches, many places are so willing, ready to get right back to the grind. I'm concerned that we're going, that we've missed the lesson. The stuff that we've been passing off as church is not church. You can't have church without having obedience to the whole counsel of God. You got to do it all. Not the parts that you want. The first thing I said for us to know is that obedience, God desires obedience above anything and everything else. The second thing is that obedience to God enables the Lord's power and authority in the believer's life. Some of us don't walk in authority. Let me explain why you don't have authority. Why I, I at times don't have authority. Why I at times don't have, I, I, there's just no, no, there's no power. It's very simple. It's found in 2 Corinthians chapter 10. It's in verse six, but I'm gonna start at verse three. For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war after the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. Amen. Casting down imaginations. Look at what the word of God can do. Casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalted itself against the knowledge of God. That means any, every high thing would be knowledge that this world or the enemy presents as an alternative to the knowledge of God. Okay. So unauthorized knowledge that the devil or anybody else would try to pass off as knowledge equal to that of God, the knowledge of God, okay? Amen. In other words, this would be the lie that, tell, that the devil would tell you that, you know what, you don't need God. You're your own person. You make your own destiny. You make your own path. Yeah, you see how far that goes. That's that unauthorized knowledge. That's that high thing, okay? So hopefully that makes sense. Casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalted itself against the knowledge of God and bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. So these, this knowledge, this unauthorized, these high things God has in these, 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 these imaginations and all that kind of stuff that's anti-God, God has actually given you and I the authority to subjugate that stuff. We are able to, 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 to conquer, literally to take over. We are literally able in Christ to shut all of that mess down. That's literally what he's, what he's telling you there. 
casting down imagination. That means you're overthrowing it. You're not just sitting it to the side. You are overthrowing it. You are breaking that thing down. And, 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 and we are able to do this through the spirit. Okay? Because the weapons, they're not carnal. Remember that. But they're mighty through God. Okay? And they, they're so mighty that they can cast down, they allow us to cast down imaginations and every high thing. That's what the scripture is saying. So we're able to bring, and bring it into captivity, every, and bring into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. So not only can I tear it down, but through the power of Christ, I can lock it down. I can say that in the name of Jesus, devil, you're not going no further. This mess is not going any further. I will not be this. I will not do that. I can, all of that, I have that authority. I should have that authority. Now, here's the key right here, verse number six. And having in a readiness to revenge all disobedience when your obedience is fulfilled. Literally, let me bottom line what he's telling you right here in verse number six. All of this stuff, that goes on before that you are able to do the power and all the kind of stuff it is activated when you become obedient when he talks about revenge all disobedient really what he's simply talking about is is that right now you're dropping the ball right now i'm dropping the ball but when i become obedient to what god told me to do all of the areas where I have fallen and have faltered and have dropped the ball, I will receive power to overcome in that area. That is literally what verse six is telling you. That's literally what verse six is telling you. Having in a readiness, you will be ready to do what you could not do before when you start doing what you can do right now. Glory to God. I love God's word. I just love God's word. I love God's word. And so because of that, that is why I say the second thing for us to know is, is that obedience to God enables the power, the Lord's power and authority in our lives. You are not going to be, listen, you're not going to be able to, to, to do, there, there, there are many people who, for whatever reason, they, they want to, you let me say it this way. Let me let me just let me let me say it this way. This, this will cover all of it. All of the things that you want to be able to do, and hopefully you have desires, godly desires and aspirations, things that you want to be able to do for the Lord. Those are good things. Hold on to that. But keep this in mind. You won't be able to do that if you're presently walking in disobedience. Okay? No matter what you do or what you want to do for the Lord, doesn't matter how noble it is, because remember, good intentions do not negate or erase bad actions. They don't justify it. Okay? Your intentions will never overwrite what you're doing. If what you are doing is wrong and against God, that's not going to fly with God. Okay? That's something that we got to keep in mind. When you and I ask God or for something or we petition God for something, let me ask this question because it really comes down to now, what about us? Because verse eight tells us how David was able to do it. It's obedience. David figured out that if I am obedient, it will open the door for me to ask God whatever it is that I need. I can ask him. I can come bold before him. I, listen, I can be confident before him, not in my, not self-confidence, but I can be confident that he will hear me, that he will take me seriously, that he will consider my request. Why? Because I didn't meet him any kind of way. I met him the way he wants to be met. You have got to understand God does not want you to show up without obedience, especially when you have the opportunity to be obedient. When you and I ask God for something or petition God for something, upon what grounds do we stand on? Are 
Are we standing upright and without fear on the grounds of obedience? Or are we yet again trying to get what we want out of God? All the while we attempt to slide rebellion against God past him. How long is this foolishness going to go on among the saints of God? We got to walk away from that. We got to turn from our sins and turn toward God. When you come before God, are you bringing a track record of obedience? It's not that you're trying to earn. You can't earn anything. But I'm telling you this. God responds to obedience. That is what the scripture is teaching you. That is what David has illustrated. That is what God has commissioned these men of God who wrote as they were moved by the spirit of God to illustrate to you that if you will obey God, you will have power with God, meaning that you will have an audience with God. God will take you seriously. God will move on your behalf. What are you bringing to God? Many of you are just going to God and you're basing it on the on a scripture, isolating a scripture that tells you you can come boldly before the throne of grace, but you're leaving everything else out. You're leaving out all the parts that enable that, that make that work. What part is that? Obedience. 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 What did God ask you to do? Time to do some soul searching. What did God ask you to do? Now, once you get that in your mind, you once you get a picture, go back to what God asked you to do, all the different things. And let me give you a tip. Let me give you give you a hint. Okay, somebody starts to get stuck because I don't want anybody to get stuck on this. God is going to never. God is never going to ask you for something that is inconsistent with the Word of God. So if when I say, "What did God ask you to do?" you start coming up with something that 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 you know that that you think that God said, but it's not. Listen. When God tells you to do something, it's going to be based on his word. It's going to be founded on his word, which means it will be supported by his word. Thus, it will stand on his word. Okay? Do not mistake your inner voice for God's voice. Don't do that. Do not mistake your inner voice. For God's voice. God's voice. Is consistent. And it does not deviate from what he's already said. So now with that in mind, go back to what God told you to do. Now, once you have that in mind, the next question is, is this, have you done what he asked you to do? You know what it is. Now, did you do it? Did you do it? Be honest about it. Have you gone where he told you to go? Have you said what he told you to say? Even if you drop the ball, it doesn't matter. You repent it. Did you get back up and you go forward and do what he told you to do? Are you walking in obedience? You need God to do something for you. You want God to do something for you. You need to go to the Lord and you need to request it. But when you get there, how are you going to show up? Are you going to show up? on the grounds of obedience, or are you going to show up trying to slide in and sneak in on the grounds of rebellion? How are you showing up? 
See, it doesn't matter what, how you, you, listen, when we talk about, did you do what God told you to do? You can't do what God told you to do to your liking. You got to do it to his liking. So in essence, this, did you do it exactly the way he told you to do it? Or did you try to slide past him your version of what he told you to do? Because I'm going to tell you something, if you want to walk in the anointing and the blessing of God the way that you are supposed to, you're going to have to stop trying to slide past God your own version, and you're going to have to find yourself in obedience to doing exactly what God told you to do. God does not need us to think for him, therefore he does not ask us to do that. He tells us plainly and specifically what he wants us to do. You and I got one job, that job is to be obedient. God doesn't want you and I to come up with anything else. You don't need to reinvent the wheel. You don't need to go through all that. Pro it's already done. He already told you and I what he wants you to do now. And when you have that, when you went to do it, did you do it according to his specification or did you come up with your own version of it? Because knockoffs and counterfeits won't work when it comes to God. If you're going to come before the Lord, you got to come the way he wants you to, not the way you want to. It's not about whether you accept it. The question is, is whether he's going to accept it. Look at Matthew 25, look at 42 and through 46. This is Jesus talking. God is laying it out right here. Notice what he says. For I was a hunger, and you gave me no meat. I was thirsty, and you gave me no drink. I was a stranger, and you took me not in. Naked, and you clothed me not. Sick, and in prison, and you visited me not. Then shall they also answer him, saying, Lord, and this is so often where we are, Lord, when saw we thee a hunger or a thirst or a stranger or naked or sick or in prison and did not minister unto thee? Let me stop right. Let me pause right there before I get the verse to, to, to the rest of them right there. As long as you keep trying to give God your version, you're going to miss all of this. See, this is how they could, this is how they could miss all of that. When did we see you hungry, Lord? When did we see you? I didn't see nothing. Yeah, you're right. You did not see nothing. Why? Because you saw what you wanted to see. You gave the service that you wanted to give and not the service that I required. And somebody listening to this need to hear it right now. You got to stop trying to pass off your own stuff for as being the stuff that God wants. Listen, your ways are not his ways. Your thoughts are not his thoughts. Listen, you ain't even night and day like him. So you got to stop passing off your way as if it is God's way. It is not. You've got to humble yourself. You've got to let go of your way. You've got to relinquish your own ideology and you've got to take up the mantle of Christ. You've got to let the same mind that is in Christ be in you. Verse 45, they shall, then shall he answer them saying, verily I say unto you in so much as ye did it not to one of the least of these. You did it not to me. And these shall go away into everlasting punishment. But the righteous into life eternal. You, you can't. What did God tell you to do? And we'll end it on this. And have you done what he told you to do? And before you say yes to that too quick, If you would say yes to that second one, the follow-up question is, did you do it the way he told you to do it?
because that makes all the difference. You cannot give God what you want him to have. And think that you're going to be blessed. No, you have got to give God what he's requested of you. God is very particular and he is very specific. So when God tells you, do this, do that, X, Y, Z. Listen, don't innovate. Don't, 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 don't remix it. Leave that thing just the way that it is and do it exactly the way God told you to do. Because in that, that's where you're going to find that blessing. Psalms 27 and 8. When thou saidest, seek ye my face, my heart said unto thee, thy face, Lord, will I see. God bless you, family. We will pick this up next week and we'll continue on. Have a wonderful Sunday. God bless you all. Wow.